Thanks for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We're located in Boise, Idaho, but wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you and empowers you to take a step towards living a life fully devoted to following Jesus. Uh, so I want to just uh, tell you a story about what God has done in my life and uh, make much of him and talk about myself as little as possible. But um, yeah, so Landon and I, uh, we met at this retreat where uh, you really like disconnect to connect. It's like, hey, uh, everyone there is doing incredible things in the name of Jesus. But what if you just laid everything down so you can actually be present? And, and how often do we need to do that? A lot, you know. Um, but I grew up in a small town in South Carolina, super small town. Like, I think we just got a Taco Bell. So, like, it was a big deal. I think it was a parade. But, like, that's how small the town is. And I, I say that to say I grew up without a dad in my house or my life. And, unfortunately, in this culture, that is not a unique circumstance. But what was unique about my circumstance was that my dad was in this small town and I would see him at the gas station. I would see him at the grocery store and the pain that I felt, I was reminded of often. And what that caused me to do is to see myself as rejected, see myself as unwanted. And the dangerous thing about a lie is that if you believe a lie to be true, it becomes true to you. And through that lie, you create a worldview. You see yourself, you see relationships, you see the world through that lie. And that's how I begin to live. And like many people, I have a high achiever personality, which can be a good thing if it leads me to do things with excellence for the glory of God. But uh, if you believe the lie that you need to do something to be something, regarding your identity, it's a dark place to be. It's a dangerous place to be, but that's what I believed. I believed that I need to accomplish things so that I would feel adequate. And it started out in a somewhat healthy way. So in school, I wanted to make the best grades so that, Josh, good job. I wanted to be the best player on the basketball team and be the person that was you know, you were, you were looking for me to take the last shot. I wanted to be that person so that I would feel affirmed. And I started modeling and acting when I was like 13, 14, and s- same mentality. I wanted to get the role. I wanted to get the audition. I wanted the callback. I wanted all these things so that I would feel affirmed. And I was the same with pursuing relationships. I, I wanted the girl that seemed unattainable so that I would feel affirmed. So this very toxic way of thinking and living, it followed me into college and I was studying theater and I was having some success in modeling, um, not as much in acting, but that's what I was pursuing. And that led me to dropping out of school and moving to Hollywood. And I thought if I put myself in closer proximity to the industry I wanted to be in, made sense, I would be famous like that. Doesn't work that way. <laughs> but. I went out there and I did, I did find an agent. I found someone to represent me and I was going on auditions and I was doing okay, 
But like many people, while you're chasing your, your dreams, you needed to you know, mitigate your, your, your expenses and your, you, know, you needed to pay the bills. So I got a job uh, working at this restaurant in the middle of West Hollywood. And it was one of those places where uh, when you applied, you didn't fill out a resume, you handed in a headshot. Um, it was just one of those places. And um, I was working there and uh, these three girls came up to me and they asked, do you wanna be an actor? And I was like, yes. You know, this was my opportunity. They're going to invite me to be a part of a project or they're gonna introduce me to uh, a director. But they were talking about pornography. And I had seen pornography for the first time when I was 13. And when you're exposed to something, especially at a, at a young age that you can't fully understand, like your brain's not ready to see something like that. So you just start developing you know, curiosity and, and desires and all these things that, are, that your brain's not ready to uh, you know, process. And I started believing, okay, I didn't have a dad in my life. I didn't see uh, a healthy relationship modeled in any way. So that's why Romans 12, 2 is so important. You're either being conformed by the world or you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're either being shaped by the world or the word. So I didn't have an example of the word. I wasn't in the word. I didn't see an earthly father. I didn't know anything. All I knew was this. So that shaped my thinking. And I was very promiscuous throughout high school, college, and I get to this place where this person's inviting me to do this thing I knew I shouldn't do. It didn't seem so different than the way I was living. So I did it, thinking that, what, you know, how, will this be a big deal? Will this, like, really impact my life? I was very wrong. So I did, I did a film, and almost immediately, everything that I was working towards and everything that I had built gone. Um, I, I did a film and it went somewhat viral and my agent, my mainstream agent calls me and he's like, hey, uh, you signed a contract and there's a morality clause, meaning that if you do something that we don't want our organization tied to, like we don't want to be associated with your likeness. You've, you're, you're doing things, you're posting things, you know, there's things that you're associated with associated with that we cannot be tied to long story short you're fired we can't represent you and then the nightmare happens where a few days later my mom calls me I'm in a small town word travels fast it's like you know it, it, when you're in the south it's like you hear your first names so of Joshua you're good Joshua Luke you're in trouble Joshua Luke Broom I'm in a lot of trouble and I hear, you know, Joshua Luke Broom, someone said that you're doing these type of movies. Is that true? And I hear both horror and disappointment in my mom's voice. And I felt shame. I felt guilt. And I had hurt my mom. My mom had me when she was 16, yet she worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week, made sure that I could go to acting workshops to have basketball shoes, to do all the things that allowed my life to resemble those around me, but they had two parents in their home. My mom was working so hard so that I wouldn't feel like or experience the life that she didn't want me to experience. 
So she invested much in me. So I felt broken and hurt by that. And then once you do something like that, you know, you're, or in any aspect of life, like when you do something you shouldn't have done or something traumatic happens to you, you're faced with a crossroad. You're either going to allow what happened to determine what you do next, or you're going to say, okay, this might have happened to me, but this doesn't define me. Let me sort this out. Because what was true, I, I did not have to continue doing that. But I again, if you believe a lie to be true, it's true to you. So I believed there was nothing else I could do. But what was actually true is I needed to do something different. And if you're going to make a drastic change in your life, it's going to cost you something. Anything that's worth anything is on the other side of obedience and discipline. You want a good relationship with Jesus? Obedience and discipline. You want to be a good father? Obedience and discipline. You want a six-pack? Obedience and discipline. It's just true. It's just true. So, you know, that I, I, it's so easier, it's so much easier to continue to compromise. Because if I'm going to make a drastic change in my health, that's going to be a lot of work. I'm going to have to say no to a lot of things that I want to do. So it was so much easier for me to just believe the lie. This is what I have to do because I can't do anything else. And it's so much easier to continue to compromise. So I did that for six years. I was in that industry for six years. And then even in that industry, same mentality that since I was a kid, I'm like, well, if I make enough money, I'll feel good about myself. And the, the feeling of me being unwanted and me feeling like I'm not valuable, that will go away. I, I made the money. It didn't work. I thought, well, if I become the most famous person in this industry and a lot of people know my name, then I'll feel affirmed. The pain will go away. I'll feel like I'm somebody. It didn't work. And when everything I thought would make me feel like something and it didn't work, it led me to a place where my anxiety was amplified, my depression was deepened, and I found myself making a plan to take my life. And I remember I was on a plane coming back from Atlanta to LAX, and I had this check in my pocket. And I made this decision, well, I'm going to go to the bank. And I normally wouldn't go to the bank and hand the check to the teller to deposit it because on the memo of the check, it would say what it was for, which was humiliating. Um, but this time, I almost wanted to be masochistic. I wanted to cause myself harm so that it would justify what I wanted to do. So I, I go into the bank and I slide the check across the counter waiting on her to tell me what I already thought about myself. I was shaking. I was afraid. And she looked me in the eye and said, Joshua, are you okay? Joshua, how can I help you? And what's important to know is 
I was a place in I was in a place in my life that I hadn't heard my real name in over a year. Because in that industry, you go by a pseudonym, you go by a stage name. The first thing that you give up, the the, the people in the industry, I'm going to make your name great. The first thing that you do is you give away your name. And that points to the level of shame. Because if you wanted, if you loved it so much and it was so great, why would you not use your real name? There's a level of shame that's attached to that. So you go by another name so you don't feel like it's you. So, so it's the way like, accountability works. Accountability is so beautiful in that if Landon looks at me and says, Hey man, I, I heard you talking to your wife in a way that like, it doesn't line up with the man that I know you to be. Like, are you doing okay? There's something going on and I've got two choices. I could either say, man, thank you so much for telling me that. You're right. I, you know, I'm stressed out. I need to apologize to her and you know, figure out what's going on with me. Thank you. Thank you for loving me enough to tell me the truth. Or I could say, hey, man, don't tell me how to talk to my wife. And I push him away. In, in that stage of my life, anyone that loved me enough to say, hey, what you're doing is not good for you and you're better than this, I pushed everyone away. So literally no one had said my name and yet this teller had said my name. And when she said my name, it broke me out of this, this shell of guilt and shame. And I went and called my mom and I thought she was gonna you know, be upset with me because it had been a long time since I returned a text or a phone call. But she said the same thing that she had been saying. I love you. You're better than this. Please just come home. So I did. Um, that was the last day that I was in that industry. But I had this mentality where I don't want to deal with the mental and emotional trauma and the reality that I had done some things that I needed to process through and to deal with. I thought, well, I'll just cover them up. I'll put enough good dirt on my bad dirt so I don't feel dirty. And I started working in the health and fitness space. I started working at a gym, worked my way up, um, started this online personal training, and was doing okay. But again, same mentality. I'm going to get the most accreditations. I'm going to get all these you know, certs. I'm going to work in this big gym. I'm going to get the best mentors. I'm going to make money. I'm going to have influence. I'm going to do blah, blah, blah. And I did it. Again, it didn't work. It didn't make me feel any better about myself. When I lay my head down on the pillow at night, I was still wrestling with the things that I had done. And that went on for about two years. And then after about two years, um, I'm working in this gym, and this girl walks in, prettiest girl I've ever seen, and I walk up to her, and in a CrossFit gym, it's like you, you know, you're, you're working out in a team setting, you get out your own equipment, you set it up, you do the workout, you put your stuff away, you know, it, like really like in a CrossFit gym, like why would you pay X amount of dollars for, you know, a, a, a fob and paying a little bit of money? You're paying for accountability and community. And while I was there, like she was, you know, she was all about, it. she was a college athlete, she was good to go, but I walked up to her and I'm like, hey, I can put your stuff away for you. Yeah. You know? uh, and I asked her out on a date, and she said no. And then that is when I fell in love with her. <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, rejection. Um, 
But I, I kept pursuing her, and she agreed to go on a run with me. And it was like, it's, it, it's, it's not what I hoped for, but I'll take what I can get. And I meet her on this run, and I got there a little bit earlier than she did. And I'm just like thinking through, you know, what I'm going to say to her and all this stuff. And I feel this conviction that I couldn't really explain. I feel like it was a combination of the Holy Spirit starting to work on me and my mom. And she was saying, don't you dare lie to that girl. Don't hurt her. Because the reality was, there was a very long line of collateral damage behind me of lies that I had told. And sometimes, withholding the truth from someone hurts more than a lie to your face. And that's what I was doing. I would just withhold the truth, and then, you know, the, the truth would come out, and I would just deal with it. I would just keep it moving. Because I didn't really value myself, so I didn't value relationships. I didn't have integrity. I, I, I liked people, but I didn't know how to love people. And so we're, we're, we're ha- you know, I'm having all these feelings, and she gets there, and pretty much I decided to, I'm like, I'm just going to tell her. She's going to say what she needs to say, and then she's going to tell me to leave. And before the, the run started, I just tell her, I'm like, hey, here's, here's how bad I am. Here's, here's all the things that I've done. You know, the, the, the stuff in that, that industry that I was in, and just pretty much anything I could think of. And at the end of that, she was pretty taken back, obviously. And then she got really serious. And she looked at me and she said, are you still doing those things? I said, no. She said, well, you know, a, a person's not defined by the worst thing they've ever done. And a person's not defined by the greatest thing you'll ever do. There's a creator of all things, of me and of you. His name is God. And he defines you. Do you know him? And it's like, Sure. Because I, I, mean, I, I grew up going to church for a little bit, and um, I probably would have even said I was a Christian, but it was contingent on me believing that God existed and created everything. But that's where it stopped. And then she asked me a few other questions, like, what's your, relation, what's your relationship with Jesus like? What's your prayer life like? Are you plugged into a community? I was like, are you speaking English? I, I, don't, I don't know. I got, I, if, you, if you're asking me, do I have that? The answer is no. And she's like, well, I've been following Jesus since I was in the seventh grade. And my family are all following Jesus. And I'm not perfect by any means. But my relationship with Jesus is the foundation in which I live my life. I make decisions to the best I can based on who Jesus says I am. And I value his word. Do you like tacos? I was like, <laughs> I was like, let me get this right. <laughs> I just told you that. You told me that you were a Christian, and then you 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 still you want to know what kind of food I like. And she went on to ask me like, what what are your hopes and dreams? Like, tell me about yourself. And honestly, I didn't really have any. And you know, Paul talks about in Colossians four six about. How if you know your speech needs to be gracious and seasoned with salt, so you might know how you ought to answer each person. And I love 
uh, this quote from one of my favorite books. It's called, it's called The Master Plan of Evangelism. Robert E. Coleman wrote this, and the quote goes like this. Some people are not, are not looking for an explanation. They're looking for a demonstration. So how she reacted to what I said was almost more impactful than what she said. And it was grace. So she told me the truth, but she showed me grace. And it was intriguing to me, so we continued to walk and talk, and then we text all week, and then she invited me to church, and you know, I, I wasn't too sure about church, but I was sure I wanted to be wherever she was. <laughs> and um, I, we, we met at church, and I wasn't real sure about what that was going to be like. I, I went there, I went to church when I was a kid, but really after, you know, even before I was a teenager, I, I hadn't been to church. And when we get there, there was this giant wooden plaque, and it said, we want to love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was like, Jesus, I've heard some stuff about him. Um, he seems cool, but there's no way you want to meet me where I am. I've got no place here. There's no way. My own father doesn't even want me. You think after the things I've done, there's no way that I belong here. And, you know, again, I'm carrying all these presuppositions about what I think should be and how it's going to be. And uh, this pastor gets on stage. And, I, again, the, the little that I knew about church growing up was that um, if you had tattoos or wrinkles in your shirt, you go to hell. I mean, that's all I knew. <laughs> but, but, but this guy, he gets up. He's got a T-shirt and jeans. The t you know, the T-shirt was a little bit wrinkled. He had tattoos on his arm. And he sounded like my grandpa. So we're in, in Raleigh, North Carolina at this point. And uh, he starts telling the story out of 2 Samuel chapter 9 about this dynamic between Jonathan and David. And when Jonathan had died, David was now becoming king. And historically, when a new kingdom was established, the previous kingdom was completely wiped out. Like, the people that were in that previous kingdom literally killed. But David was different. And he actually asked, like, his, his guards, hey, I want to find out, is there anyone remaining out of the house of Saul? Is there anyone remaining that are attached to Jonathan? Is there anyone left? Like, yeah, Mephibosheth. And they go and they find Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth knew history because it meant he was going to die. And the guard finds him, and he expects the guard to extend a spear. But he extends a hand anyway. Picture of grace. And he, he brings him into his kingdom, and he gives him a seat at his table, and he even restores his land. And Mephibosheth is very confused. Uh, it, it, the, in the passage, it even talks about how Mephibosheth refers to himself as a dead dog because that's how he saw himself. And the pastor starts to explain the beauty of this, how Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who's guilty? Everybody. 
And then Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. So who is deserving of death? Everybody. So we're all guilty and we're all deserving of death. But there's good news. That Jesus came into this world, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, faced temptation, but never sinned. And he went to the cross and he died for my sin, for your sin. On the third day, he rose, authenticating his identity. He is, in fact, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And if you put your faith in him, the bridge that you need to get to God that you can't build because it has to be perfect is him. And I'm hearing that. And I know it to be true. And the Holy Spirit is tugging on my heart. But what I can't reconcile is how would God in flesh, why would he die for me? My own father didn't want me. Why would God in flesh die for me? And the Bible starts to explain how Jesus felt as, as he was going to the cross. And the, and the pastor starts talking about Hebrews 12. And he says, it was with joy set before him that he endured the cross. So Jesus was perfect in every way. So yes, of course he was obedient to the Father in submitting and laying down his life. But he also did it because he loves you and he loves me. I was like, God loves me. The Father that I desperately needed, the desperately wanted, the, the one that I thought I would never have. He wasn't far off rejecting me. He was waiting on me. So I laid down my life. I laid, my, I laid down my life right there, and I, I started following Jesus the best I knew how. And I surrendered the guilt and shame that came with the life that I lived, and I stopped feeling inadequate. And in that church, I, I go, and I'm like, hey, I've got a story. <laughs> will, you, you know, will you help me? I, I feel like I want to share the gospel, and I get discipled, and I start spending 10 to 15 hours a week with this guy, Andrew, and he's pouring into me, and I'm, I'm understanding the Bible, and I'm understanding context, and uh, eventually I, I go to Liberty and, and, and get a degree in Christian ministries, and I start sharing the, you know, the story that I have, and you know, like us all, that if you follow Jesus, like you once had a wound, and then you have a scar, and that scar, it, it tells a story. But my scar, it doesn't point to pornography. It doesn't point to fatherlessness. It points to Jesus. And I start sharing that story, and God has done some amazing things. And um, the person that I went on that walk with is, is now my wife, you know. And uh, you can clap for that. <laughs> um, yeah, God, God is good. And pretty cool, her name is Hope. So, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Um, but we got three, three boys, another boy on the way. Um, so she's due in like seven weeks. So super exciting. And our first son, when he was born, um, you know, I, I, I never saw, like I never experienced having a dad. I never saw anyone being a dad. And when our first son was born, like the nurse has him, 
wiping off all the like the gross stuff and his head's like all weird and the nurse says you can touch him and I'm like all right you know I'm just gonna and as I'm reaching out my hand he grabs my finger and I hear God whisper to me I love you more than that way that I was, I was willing to lay down my life for this child, so much more do I love you, God was saying to me. And I started to understand, even though I never experienced being a father, through being a son, I learned about the father's love, and I, I allowed me to give that to him. And so we, we named him Canon, so Canon in Hebrew means measuring stick, so for him and my wife, it was the measure of God's grace in our life and uh, life has been wild and uh, just, just excited to be with you. And I just wanna just give you a, a snapshot of Peter's life and how we can take so much from it. Um, I'm gonna be moving fast because I took a little bit longer than I intended to tell that story, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so we look at the life of Peter. He was someone that, you know, he was a fisherman and it's easy to believe that you are what you do. It's, it's an aspect about you. Your skin color, your ethnicity, your job title, um, where you live. Those are all important things about you that make you unique. But though, that's not the most important thing about you. Anyway, if you take a good thing and you make it an idol it distracts you from the God thing. So who you are is a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. That is who you are. And if your identity flows through that lens, you will be able to see yourself rightly. Because if you don't see yourself rightly, you're not gonna see God rightly. If you don't see God rightly, you're not gonna live rightly. That's just true. Like if you, if you don't understand the character of God, you won't understand the tone of God. So when you see scriptures like John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If you hear, if you love me, you'll do what I say. You're missing the point. If you trust me, if you trust me, you'll understand that I'm actually trying to protect you and I have a better way. If I tell my son not to touch the stove, I don't want him to get burned. So he doesn't touch the stove, not because he knows that it's hot. He doesn't touch the stove because he trusts his father. So how many times will we not get burned if we just trust our father? But we're going to talk about how Peter got burned. Peter messed up. Peter messed up. So he, we, we go from him being a fisherman to a fisher of men and understanding we're, we are not who we're not what we do. That's not our identity. Our identity is grafted into who God calls us to be, which is sons and daughters. And we even see how supernatural faith 
is followed by supernatural courage because after walking with Jesus and seeing Jesus do miracles and hearing him teach the scriptures, these scriptures start getting into his heart and he starts believing what he's saying. He starts just seeing the miraculous happen. So he's in a boat and Jesus is on the water and he steps out onto the water. Why? He has supernatural faith. And then we also need to know when he took his eyes off of Jesus and started worrying about the storms around him, he started to sink. But it was faith that allowed him access to the supernatural. Because you will never do the thing that God wants you to do unless you have faith that's far beyond your understanding, your expectations. What God has for you is Ephesians 3.20 exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever hope or imagine you do not have the capacity to dream or even think of the life that God has for you he's good he's that good but often we allow our fear and what we think should be or how it ought to be keep us from what the what he has for us the plan and the purpose he has for us so I just want to get to, uh, get to this, and we'll, we'll move, um, move into John 21 is the place that I really want to spend some time. But um, Peter was a fisherman, got called to Jesus into ministry, and sees him do this, um, some miraculous things. And he gets to a place where who do you, he asks all his disciples, who do you say I am? So Matthew 16, 13 through 15, um, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And then Peter, Peter said, you are the Messiah. You're the son of God. He's like, yes, you got it. And then he proclaims that you are the rock in which I'm going to build my church. Peter, Peter becomes the rock before the rock was a rock. Peter was the OG rock. And then, and then five verses later, he's rebuking Jesus and how quickly he becomes Satan. We are one lie away from being miles away from the blessing that God has for us. We can be sitting in the promised land and believe one lie, Numbers 13 and 14. The, in the promised land, they've, they saw, you know, split the Red Sea, water from a rock, a cloud, the fire, all these things. And they're in the promised land. And they're like, eh, there's some big, some giants there. Here's some, you know, these big walls. Let's go back. And Joshua and Caleb were like, surely we can take them. Not because of us, because we know what God has done. And if you remember what God has done... You can cling on to what he guarantees he will do. That is who he is. That's what he does. So understanding Jesus is God, the Messiah. Clinging on to that, that's the most important thing you could ever believe. And then all of a sudden he's rebuking him. Peter's rebuking Jesus because he was saying, hey, um, I'm going to be taken up and crucified. And I'm going to die. And, and that didn't line up with what Peter thought should be. We cannot, we cannot be God. That started in the garden. Did God really say? 
Did God really say that? Does the Bible really teach that? Because when we try to be our own moral authority, we're going to fail every time. We've got to trust that God has a way. And his word is trustworthy. And we're going to obey it and walk in it and cling on to it in spite of what we think or feel. So Peter's feelings and thoughts got him in a place where he rebukes Jesus. And then the story goes on. And then he, Jesus tells him that he's going to deny him three times. And he does. Peter did the thing he said he would never do. How dangerous of a thing that is to say. I would never do that. That's the thing that Satan will do everything in his power for, to get you to do. And there's this place in John 18 where Peter had been following Jesus at a distance. And, and Landon had, has preached on this before where when, when you're following Jesus at a distance, there's discourse in your life. You're distracted. You're disconnected. So you can't see rightly. And someone asks, a girl walks up to him and asks him, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? And she's asking Peter this, and he replied, I am not. He said, no, I'm not, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And it's, it's, it's interesting that this happened in front of a, a coal of burning fires. And the Greek word, anthrakeia, it only shows up twice. It's in this moment. And then at this other moment where Jesus is on the shore and he's cooking breakfast for his disciples. And this is in, in John 21 where Peter has jumped out of the boat and, and swam to Jesus. And we're, we're hearing this interaction. So this is after they finished eating. Um, so John 21, 15 through 17. Uh, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these yes Lord he said you know that I love you Jesus said feed my lambs again Jesus said Simon son of God son of John do you love me he answered yes Lord you know that I love you Jesus said take care of my sheep and the third time he said to him Simon son of John do you love me it's not a coincidence that publicly he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter knew that. And John is so intentional in his language. And he was asking him that because he denied him three times. He asked him, do you love me three times? And he said, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And what I want to just really look in deeply is in, in the Greek, in the original language where this was written, uh, there's, there's multiple words for the, love, for the word love. So if I say I love donuts and I love my wife, different, <laughs> different, different type of love. Um, so in Greek, there's, um, your, um, there's agape, which is kind of like the, the totality of love, like God's love for you. And the other, port, uh, the other word that we see in the scripture is phileo. Is, it means a, a brotherly love. And it goes like this. Jesus said, do you agape me? Peter's like, mm, I can't commit to that. I failed. But I phileo you. And then Jesus asked him again, do you agape me? Peter said, no. I phileo you. 
Jesus said, do you phileo me? He met him where he was. Peter said, yeah, I phileo you. And then we see Peter go on from there. He reinstates Peter. And Peter goes on to preach at Pentecost and thousands of people give their life to Jesus. They repent and they're baptized. And then Acts 3, he's, he's preaching to a, a group of Jewish people, him being a Jew, saying, you denied the Christ. He was crucified because of you and because of me. He was preaching with such zeal and passion because he knew what his sin had cost him. And here's what is true. And here's what I want to tell you. If you bring your full self to the person of Jesus, not the person you hope you were, not the person that you pretend to be, not the person that you would be if the thing wouldn't have happened, if you bring your full self to the person of Jesus, take you to a place that you never could get to on your own. I believe that there's healing to be found in this place. There's a portion of scripture where uh, Jesus is, is interacting with this guy um, at this pool of Bathsheba and he's waiting on this the, the bubbles to come up as he heard in culture it's like if I do this thing and I get in the water um, I'll be healed and Jesus comes to him and, and asks do you do you want to be healed do you want to be healed because if you do it's going to cost you something you have to come to me in my life where I was seeing God move in miraculous ways and I'm just opening up opportunities for me to do things and speak and it's giving me this family but there was something that kept coming to the forefront of my mind and um, I was in Dallas and it woke me up in the middle of the night and I started to pray of the Lord in his, in his reverence, in his love, in his kindness, urged me to get out of my bed and get on my face. Because you're, you're, you're only as free as you're honest. You can only be healed as you're honest. And honesty looks a lot like surrender. So I call out to God, I'm like, what, what, what do you have for me? What do you want from me? What do I need to do? What do you need me to say? Where do you need me to go? And he brought to my mind that while I had been forgiven for my sins, I had not experienced healing because I had blamed everything that had transpired in my life 
on my father. You see, forgiveness is a gift to you. Purity is a gift for you. We can get this so twisted where if we do something, we're, we're honoring God and, and God loves us more because we do X, Y, and Z, but that's just not true. Like God loves you and he sent his son so that you can experience eternal life. So I had to get to this place where I realized that I had sinned against God because I believed if my father would have been there, this wouldn't have happened. If I had a dad, I wouldn't have done the things that I did. If he would have been there for me, if he would have wanted me, I wouldn't have experienced the pain that I experienced. And while your trauma is real, you still have the choice of how you respond. And if you give your hurt, Jesus, if you give your trauma to Jesus, if you give him that thing that happened to you that you swore you would never tell anyone about, if you give him that mistake that you made that you keep pushing down in your subconscious that you never want to face, if you give it to him. Because right now I believe it's rising to the surface coming to the forefront of your mind you know the thing that you need to let go of we all have something and what is true is where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom where the spirit of the Lord is there is peace and peace it flows from the pool of grace. That's where you find peace. And grace has a name. His name is Jesus. You cannot fix yourself. But what the enemy wants you to do, John 10, 10 talks about that he, that he wants to lie, kill, and steal. He wants to rob you of joy. He wants to rob you of happiness. He wants to keep you trapped where you are, keep you stuck, and allow you to believe I'm always going to be this way. This is who I am. This is just the way it is. This is the way I'm wired. That is a lie. There's freedom for you here today. And I believe that there's something that happens when you physically respond. There's something that's solidified spiritually. So whatever is, is, is in your mind, in your heart, regardless of what it is, if something happened to you or you did something, whatever you're wrestling with, if you want freedom today, raise your hand. Yeah. Who wants to be free? Who's tired of walking with what they're walking? Who's tired of carrying what they're carrying? Jesus' yoke is easy. You were never intended to carry the thing that you've been carrying. And you've been walking with a limp for so long that you've just thought, this is just who I am. This is the way that it's going to be. But I'm here to tell you, there is a miracle worker, promise keeper, 
He stands ready to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever imagine. The way that Jesus laid down his life, he's asking you to lay down yours. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that you know everything about us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, yet you love us anyway. The Bible tells us that while we were enemies of God, that you died for us anyway. God, I pray that whatever is is in our mind, whatever's coming up to the surface, God, May we not leave this room with what we walked in here carrying. I pray that we lay it down in your name because of your glory, because you are a healer. It's who you are. That's what you do. And I just want to say this with everyone continuing to with their eyes closed and their heads bowed I want to speak to another group of people where maybe you're hearing this message and you haven't solidified your decision to follow Jesus you maybe have understood that uh, he is capable of saving but you haven't made him Lord of your life and you're wrestling with all these feelings that you believe that uh, you've done too much you've gone too far yet the Bible says hey we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've, we've lied. We've stolen something. We've lusted. We've fallen short of God's perfect standard. And what that does, that sin, it separates us from God. But here's what is true. We all will live forever. We are all eternal. But we have a choice. Either we can accept, we can accept the free gift the person of Jesus and spend forever with God or we can reject that gift and be separated from God forever but that's not God's desire God's desire is for you to be reconciled to him through his son because he loves you he made you he has a plan for your life and if you're believing well you know I I don't know there's there's I've done too much Uh, I, I didn't have this I didn't have that God already knows And he loves you anyway, and he's drawing you to himself today. And if you're in the place where you're ready to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of your perfect standard. I need to be saved. I need saving. I need to be saved. I cannot save myself. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount of certain prayers. I've got to surrender my life to you. I'm a sinner and I need saving. Jesus, I believe that you lived a perfect life. You died on the cross and you rose on the third day to save me. And the Bible says, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the the grave, you will be saved if you're in this room and you're ready to make that decision say Jesus I give you my life I need to be saved I want to be made new I want new life 
Raise your hand right now. Praise God, raise your hand right now. Don't leave this room without making that decision. We're not promised tomorrow. We don't know what's gonna happen when we leave here. Praise God, praise God, praise God for those hands. I wanna, I wanna tell you this. There was a time where John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And then we, we see the, uh, a picture of the Trinity where we hear the audible voice of God and the descending of the Holy Spirit and the Son in the person of Jesus. And God saying, this is my Son whom I'm well pleased. And if you're like me, and maybe it's been a long time, or maybe it's never been said, there is a Father in heaven that's proud of you today. There is a Father in heaven that's proud of you today saying, that is my Son, that is my daughter, whom I'm well pleased. And we thank you, Jesus, for all that you are. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And I'll just say this. There's going to be guys up here on the right and ladies on the left. And you want to bring something to God. Because the church is not a building, it's a people. And the people of God want to walk with you as you walk with God. And if you made that decision, please tell someone so that we can celebrate with you. So that we can walk with you. So there's a a prayer table as you exit. You can take those next steps. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like? We want to walk with you as a church. So either tell someone as you're praying at the front or as you're walking out, let someone know so we can celebrate that you are not who you used to be. You've been made new. You're a new creation, and we want to celebrate that with you. Praise God and amen. Amen. Come on. I want to stay in this moment for a moment. I know that we're, we're going to dismiss in just a second. I know we got kids we got to grab. But I do want to invite you, please, as we get ready to dismiss, I'm going to dismiss you in a moment, but the worship team's going to pray. If you need prayer, we have ladies over here, guys over here. Do you want to be free? Take that step. Get some prayer. We also are going to have a word on the screen behind me. You can text freedom to the number on the screen.